Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. This has been one of my favorite series to, to go through as a church family uh, as we've been looking at the life of Joseph this morning. We are in Genesis chapter 41. When we think about Joseph and his life, it really reflects the life that we all live in this world. We, we face adversity. We face difficulty and challenges, situations that have potential to overcome us. Uh, you've all been through something in life. We began this series talking about we all have a trump card, don't we? Uh, if you only knew what I've been through, you would, this is the reason why I act this way. Joseph didn't allow any of those things to uh, give him an excuse for uh, running away from God or, or living a life of selfishness. Joseph continued to trust God. He could have given up. And we certainly have moments where we can give up or use it as an excuse to, to, to live the way we live or treat people the way we treat them. But God's called us to a higher life. Uh, one that's free from bitterness, right? One that's free from allowing what's happened in our past to continue to direct and control our present and our future. Uh, the story of Joseph's life, really, it, it, it follows along this great promise that we've had, that we've been looking at every single week. I bring this verse up because it's something you ought to tuck away in your heart for, for seasons of difficulty and trials you go through. It's Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Joseph chooses to rise above the circumstances, something that you and I all have to make a choice to. If anyone had a, uh, the ability or the, um, the, you know, should have had the ability, excuse to kind of like plot revenge as he meets his brothers in our next week's message, uh, it would have been Joseph. Or to withhold forgiveness, it would have been Joseph. We've walked through, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was abandoned by them. He was uh, uh, sold to an Egyptian general named Potiphar. He was accused falsely of sexual assaulting his wife, and then he was imprisoned in, in the king's prison in Egypt, and then he was forgotten for several years in that prison. Many in his shoes have chosen to say, I'm going to get revenge, I'm going to hold on to bitterness, but that's not what Joseph did. He'll have his chance to get revenge. After this chapter we're in this morning, chapter 41, in about nine years, he'll see his brothers face to face and being this incredible uh, like leader and really prime minister of Egypt we see this morning, uh, he had a, a, the ability to do anything he wanted with his brothers. We talked about last week that sometimes our setbacks in life are really setups, and that's kind of where we're at this morning. Uh, Joseph, he realizes something as he, he, as he you know, spends more time in this Egyptian prison. He, he realizes that God doesn't work all things together for good. Joseph is certainly a great picture of what that looks like. Now, last Sunday, we left Joseph in prison for two years after he successfully given not only the baker of the, the king of Egypt, but also the cupbearer of the king of Egypt. There was some plot to take his life. Those two had the, the highest access or closest access to the king, and so he didn't know who it was that wanted to assassinate him, so he put both these fellows in prison. And one night they both had dreams, and Joseph came by because he was now running this prison. The warden saw God's hand of favor on his life and says, hey, you take over and I'll get all the credit for it, like a lot of our bosses, right? And he says, hey, what's going on? I mean, he looks sad this morning, like, man, we both had dreams. We don't have access to the wise men of Egypt, and we don't know what to do with this stuff. 
Joseph gives him the correct interpretation. Three days later, the cupbearer gets released to go serve the king again on his birthday, and the baker is hung because he was the one that was trying to plot. The one thing Joseph said is, remember me. Can you imagine that cupbearer's like, bro, I got you. Like, I got you. I will remember you. Don't you worry. Well, let's pick it up. Let's see what happens. The end of chapter 40, it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. <laughs> Verse 1 of 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. I'm not a, uh, I don't understand that world, but when I see like a steak, they still have those at Costco. I'm like, you know what? That's an attractive cow, nice and plump. Grass-fed, by the way. They fed in the, gra- in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump, good, were growing on one stalk, and behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Has anyone had any funky dreams like that before? It's like, okay, that's like insane. Someone says, like, I had this dream last night. There were seven cows, and then there's these really ugly ones. They came, they started just chomping them away. How do you eat a cow? One bite at a time, apparently, is what his dream came up. And so in the morning, his spirit was troubled, rightfully so, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all, the, all its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, and they're like, dude, you have lost it, Pharaoh. But there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and he put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Notice Joseph's answer. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Here we see this this moment in time, I wonder if Joseph just thought to myself, oh, this is where the God works, allows all things to work together for good. Joseph had suffered, we would look at his 13 years from 17 years old, now he's 30 years old, we would look at that as a, a, a gap of his life, majority of his adult life, actually all of his adult life, was lived in pain. There was hardship that came him those past 13 years. I read something interesting by uh, Charles Swindoll. He said, pain, when properly uh, handled, can shape a life for greatness. Pain, when it's properly dealt with in our life, can shape you into something that can bring about God's glory. 
and bring about much good in people's lives. Job said this about after all he had endured, right? You read through the book of Job, you're just like, man, I want to hurry through this because I don't want God to go like, oh, you know what? I should use some stuff in Gordon's life. So I just like, boom, half hour, let's go. Boom, speed read. Job's like a crazy book. <laughs> like a lot of bad stuff happens to Job. Job said something very interesting about the hardships he was going through. He said this, when he, speaking of God, has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Isn't that a great word picture? He knew that God was the refiner. and He used the fires of trials and challenges and difficulties to bring about the impurities in a person's life, to bring about the flaws in a person's life, and to do something amazing. He says, and when it's done, I'm going to come forth as gold. I'm not going to come forth as wealthy or rich or whatever you would think, but I'm going to come forth as a different kind of person because of the things that God has put me through. That's what's happening in Joseph's life. We see it in his life. He was being shaped for greatness. He was being set up for the greatest rescue of the known world at that time because of all that he had gone through. God sent a a dream to Pharaoh. Nobody can interpret it. And then the cupbearer remembered his failures. Have you ever forgot to do something that you told someone you would do and then they text you like two years later or maybe like a week later and then they text you and then you go and open the text up And then you know those three little dots are like on their end, and you read it, and you're like going, I didn't do that. How do I get out of this right now? And then you type some lie back, I'm waiting to hear back, because I haven't asked them yet. Just that you're out, by the way. You could just say that, I'm because you are waiting, you just haven't like started the process yet. Or you see somebody and like, hey, did you do that? Ooh, right? You show up at home, hey, did you get my text about picking something up on the way home? you know what? New phone. Who dis? So they get Joseph out. And Pharaoh's like, hey, you're the guy with all the answers. And I love Joseph's response. No, it's not in me. It's not in me. It's so different than when he was 17. Hey, guys, gather around. I had a dream to his brothers. Like, all of you guys, essentially, were bowing down to me. I'm the one that's going to be raised up. You're all going to bow to me. And it says they hated him even more. And Joseph doesn't get it. Do you have friends like that that you give, you drop hints? I don't want to hang out with you. So what time should we pick you up? You know, it's like he's not getting it. He's like, dad, mom, everyone gather around. I had another dream. You're all going to bow down to me. And his, his father like rebukes him. He's like, how could you say you're the youngest kid? I can't believe you would have such the audacity to say this. That's not Joseph now. He's not this young, confident 17-year-old telling his brothers about his dreams. Now he knows God is the one who gave this dream to Pharaoh, and God is the one who will give the answer. Broken and healed will always equal better in a person's life. Broken and resentful will always equal bitter and self-focused. And if you walk through hardship or as we walk through hardship, now he's humble. He understands all his success up to this now, up to this point when he was in Potiphar's house, when he was there stuck in the prison for years was all because of God's favor on his life. And what we read about in chapter 39, and the Lord was with him and the Lord was with him and the Lord caused him to be successful. And so Pharaoh says, all right, man, here's my dream. And we read that Joseph 
has this interpretation to him. You skip down to verse 25. It says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the things are fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land in Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food for these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food, should be a res- uh, that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine." This uh, proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Isn't that interesting? That Pharaoh recognizes God's hand was upon Joseph's life, just like the, the, the warden in prison, just like Potiphar, and just like God had had his hand upon Joseph his entire life. And he says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, There is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took the signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in in his second chariot, And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephenath Paneah bread. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Boy, that's a pretty big, significant change in, in uh, situations, right? You think about what happened to Joseph, sold as a slave by his brothers, right? Bought by Potiphar, accused of a false accusation, thrown into the king's prison. And that whole time period from when his brothers betrayed him to this moment he's standing before Pharaoh is 13 years. His entire adult life at this moment is he's 30 years old. Joseph's answers to Pharaoh, let's just give a little indication that, that, man, he was still on track with God. He says, God will give you the dream interpretation. God has shown you this dream. God, God, God. He continued to give all the glory to God, and God was the one who was the person who was giving all this wisdom to Joseph as well. Save now so that you'll have enough later, right? 
Is it, is it like with your household, like you start making more money and all of a sudden like you start spending more money? You had that moment, you're like, man, if I just made 500 more bucks a month, man, we'd be able to save. You're like, man, actually I needed 1,500. I was lying, right? Start having kids and stuff, boom. That's what happens. But save, save, he says. He gets this promotion. 13 years of overcoming, betrayal, temptation, and discouragement we talked about last year. God was working behind the scenes that entire time. It's like a, the story of a, um, a caterpillar that goes into hibernation, right? It makes a little cocoon. And then, I don't know how long, you don't either, so I could just make it up. 38 hours later, this, this, this little hole pops open in that cocoon, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, you see these little eyes and little tentacles, and, and this, all of a sudden, this, this beautiful creature that's this metamorphosized inside this cocoon, all this work's going on behind the scenes, and he starts to emerge out of this cocoon, Right? And sometimes human beings, they look at you and go, oh, this poor little butterfly is struggling so much. And they get little scissors. Let me give you a little bigger hole to climb through. Make your entrance into this world a second time, lucky. Uh, be able to actually like, you know, like get on with it, right? You realize that that butterfly has got to struggle or it won't be able to fly ever in its life. It has to go through that tiny hole so it squeezes all the liquids off of its wings and its body so that it can float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you have to go through struggle. And we all want a kind of life that has sort of a sage-like abilities. You know what I mean? When you get old enough, you say, Lord, I want my grandkids, my great-grandkids to look to me and say, Grandpa, give me wisdom, man. Tell, how, how do I navigate this life? Your children as they turn into adults and have their own kids. Your friends, your neighbors. I want to have that kind of wisdom. I want to have a strength about my life. When struggles come my way, I don't want to cower in fear. I want to say, God, you're going to get me through this because you got me through the last thing. How do I have that kind of strength? You got to struggle like a butterfly. You got to wiggle your way out and just allow God to take you through the process and the journey of trials to get to that spot. You can't ever get to that spot without hardship. I shared last week, when I was a personal trainer, people say, like, I want abs. I'm like, you're a liar. You don't want abs. I said, you want Captain Crunch and Cabernet late at night. That's why you don't have abs. you got to suffer. You can now see from his vantage point that the hand of the Lord was upon him. And though he didn't know it theologically, or he didn't know it scripturally yet, he knew it theologically, that all things work together for good. The good, the bad, the ugly. God will use all of it for his glory and our good. He's orchestrating his eternal plan for Joseph. But as you walk through the Bible, you see that he's orchestrating his eternal plan for you and for me. Because if it wasn't for Joseph's struggle and Joseph's moment in time before Pharaoh and 13 years of waiting to get before Pharaoh and God sending a dream to Pharaoh and Joseph being the one to interpret it for Pharaoh... And him being the second in command of the known world, the world empire of the time, he wouldn't have been able to save this tiny little nation being developed in Canaan, Jacob, who was the nation setting up, becoming the nation of Israel. And without the nation of Israel, my friends, we don't have a Messiah that can go to the cross and save us from our sins. You can see that this story is so vital. That's why there's so much time given to it in the book of Genesis, this teenage Hebrew of this insignificant nation at the time. He says, it's all yours, Joseph, all the land of Egypt. 
Something I shared last week, a quote from Warren Rearsby, says, God is preparing us for what he is preparing for us. Joseph needed more time in prison. Joseph needed more time in the gym, the hard place of life, to get him to that spot. Then Pharaoh gives him a wife as he became the prime minister of Egypt, and he's over all the land. At 17, he wasn't ready for this, but now at 30, with the struggles of life shaping him, bringing him to a place of total trust in the Lord, what else can you do when you're stuck in the pit except, God, there's nothing else I can do but trust you. I can't figure this out. I can't get out myself. He got busy setting up the nations, surrounding nations to survive the coming famine. The seven years supplied abundantly, and he began to give instruction to the, to the, you know, the different like, you know, roles and leadership roles in the different cities, that, like building storehouses and how to account for this stuff because it was going to come in. It says that they, they stopped counting because the abundance of those seven years, it said that it was like the grains of sand they had so much grain set aside for those seven years. What does Joseph do? He says, guys, we've got to raise taxes. That's what happened. 20%. 20%. Some of you are going like, dude, that would be awesome. 20% taxes. From this vantage point, he could see that God's hand was upon him. You know, when we read Romans 8.28, when we're going through hardship and struggle, we don't see the end. You know, we don't see the end yet. Uh, we, we read that by faith, for I know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That's something we read by faith. But every so often you catch up in life and you begin to see it played out with your eyes. Oh, that's why this happened. Oh, that's what's going on. And see, Joseph's having that kind of moment. I wonder as he's going around uh, Egypt, as he's just navigating the land and getting the lay of the land. Remember, he was sold as a slave immediately. Then he was stuck in prison for 13 years, the total 13 years of his life, was never walking around Egypt. Now he's got a wife. Now he's the most important human being in the known world at the time, the superpower of the world, Egypt. And now he's seeing how God's hand was upon him. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. I look at Joseph at 30, and he's in a new chapter of life, isn't he? You see how the Lord gave him the ability to overcome so many adversities, so many difficulties, but now it's beginning to become more clear to him God's purposes in them all, how God was working all things together for good. You know, as we trust the Lord, as we don't allow ourselves to get bitter when life uh, gives us a, 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 a bad hand, right? We don't seek revenge to those who have actually like harmed us or wound us. We learn how to forgive. If we don't allow ourselves to get bitter against the Lord, by the way, in those hardships too, so many people walk away from their relationship with God because they go through difficult times. You have a choice in that moment. Hardships are coming. It's the life we live. We, we live in a world that's filled with sin. Yes, God allows these things to happen to our lives. You have a decision. You can run to the Lord and say, God, I don't have the answers. I know that you do. I don't have the strength. I know that you do. I don't have wisdom. I know that you do. Or you can say, you know what? I've had about enough of this. And so many people miss out. There's another side to this mountain of hardship. There's another angle you just haven't gotten to yet. You keep trusting God. You keep pressing on. You keep pursuing him even though you can't see the answer. I promise you, there are better times coming. I see Joseph 
And I look at him in this chapter and we think about him overcoming the pain of the past. He certainly had a lot of pain, didn't he? It's what it seems like to me. He's experiencing a new season. And some of the things that he acknowledges and shares in this new season. What are some of the takeaways before we move on to his confrontation with his brothers? By the way, that's a spoiler alert, right? He's going to meet his brothers. There's a few things I I want you to note with me. And if you're taking notes in your little journal, you can jot them down. Write it on somebody's hand next to you. Scratch that. They're just going to use sanitary wipes afterwards so you won't see it. So don't don't touch anyone's hands, right? Here it is. Number one is this. One day we will discover God's full purpose in all the hardship. One day you're going to discover God's full purpose. He's raised up to number two only on paper. Pharaoh said, only in regards to the throne am I better than you. But Pharaoh's no dummy. He's like, Joseph, God has raised you up for a time such as this. You're the You're the one, this 30-year-old young man, that's going to actually put together the systems in place to save millions of lives. One day, I believe it was this day, Joseph began to see it unveiling, right? Wow, I'm discovering God's full purpose in all that he's allowed me to go through. I wonder as he went throughout the land, if he saw moms pregnant, little kids running around Egypt in the good times, right? knowing like, man, dude, a, a storm is coming. And if, God, you've not allowed me to go through all that I went through, I wouldn't be in this place to actually keep them alive. I wonder if he walked through the, the whole nation and just began to just see people, you know what I mean, and go like, wow, I went through some hard stuff so I could be in this position to literally save human lives. One day, we too will discover God's full purpose for all that he allows us to go through. I wonder if he said to the prison, man, I want to thank you, prison, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have learned some of the lessons I needed to learn. I want to thank you, Lord, for I don't believe you sent it my way, but you allowed it to come my way. It's not like, so when I walk through my journeys, I've shared with you over and over again, you know, my mom and dad split up. My mom raised four boys on her own. And, uh, and, and I didn't meet my father until I was 18, didn't have a relationship with him until I was 36 years old. It's not like the Lord says, you know what, I want to I I bless that young boy, Gordon. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a situation where his parents get divorced. He doesn't have a, a father influence in his life, disciplining him, you know, that kind of stuff, which you can imagine four boys in that household needed some of that discipline. Do you know what I'm saying? Does anyone else have four boys in your household? A lot of broken doors, a lot of punched holes in walls. If there was ever a household that needed some, some uh, fatherly like restraint, it would have been our household. It's not like I go like, oh, thank you, Lord, that I didn't grow up with a father. This is not, I don't, that's, that's ludicrous. Lord, thank you for the lessons that I had to walk through. Because you allowed that to be my story, right? One day, we'll discover God's full purpose. One day this side of heaven, maybe not tell the other side. Maybe not tell you stand before God where you fully understand all that God has allowed you to walk through. You'll see that God allowed the pains of this life to prepare you, to use your pain. He never wastes our pain. You become more compassionate as you process and as you learn, right? You become more 
uh, other-centered. You're able to empathize with others. You're able to help others. Think about what Joseph got to process. Here I am on this other side, and I'm seeing that it was the Lord who's allowing me to discover his full purpose. God allowed his brothers to conspire to kill and then choose to sell him. God allowed an official to buy him in Egypt. God allowed that official's wife to accuse him of a false accusation of sexual assault. God allowed that captain of the guard to send him to the king's prison. God allowed the baker and the cupbearer to come into disfavor in the king's world and then sent to the king's prison. God gave, allowed these dreams to come to them so that Joseph could be used by God to give an interpretation. God even allowed the cupbearer to be forgetful for two years because he wanted to send a dream to Pharaoh that only one could interpret, and that was Joseph. God allowed the cupbearer to remember his offenses two years later. See, full circle. Full circle, he now sees and will continue to see how God's mighty hand was a part of all of this. God knew a seven-year famine was coming. It was on its way. He desired that he would preserve Jacob's family because, again, the story of Scripture is to bring about Jesus into the world through this country called Israel, through this tribe called Judah, through this family lineage called David, and that's where you see Jesus Christ being born. See, God desired that you and I would be saved, so he says, I'm going to let Joseph go all through all this stuff so he could be the one to actually preserve this nation. Full circle now, Joseph, Joseph is getting to understand that. Through that family, the entire world would be saved through Jesus Christ and those who would believe in him. Can I encourage you, friends? Hold on. The Lord who is for your eternal good, not your temporary comfort, is working, and you will see it one day. We can also see how Joseph overcame pain and how he names his children. You read on in verse 50 to 52, it says this, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, notice this, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I talk about some of the lessons we learn as Joseph overcame pain, or at least acknowledged that he's overcome it. Is it one, is that you and I will have this ability to discover God's full purpose one day, maybe this side of heaven, maybe wait till you get to God's presence. But number two is this, one day our present pain will be forgotten. Isn't that good news? One day the painful struggles of this life you will forget. What a beautiful promise. He's now blessed so abundantly all the sorrow of sad experiences he said was forgotten. Not that it's no longer in his memory, but the sting of it is no longer there. There's relief from the pain of what he's gone through. It's gone now. You all have scars Having three boys in our household, every last one of them has a scar like above one of their eyes, <laughs> their chin, other parts of their body, all because of three boys, you know. And if they didn't have mom and I around, they would certainly have lost limbs, I would imagine, in that household. How do you all have like a scar underneath your chin? You guys have scars? You know, in 1990, 
um, I was uh, a swimming pool cleaner, and, uh, and I was helping. Do you guys remember the big freeze that happened in 1990? If you were in plumbing at that time, you made it big time. I mean, that was like the seven years of plenty for the people who having to replace all the pipes and stuff. And uh, I worked for a pool company, and, and all, the, all the water was frozen. And we're so dumb in California, I'm like, I got to test this water. And I'm like standing on the pool trying to break a hole through it, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to go ice fishing or something like that. And uh, someone said like, hey, we got to break up the ice. And so there I was at this, uh, these people's house in Kingsburg, and they had a hatchet. And I'm like, well, that would probably work the very best, right? So um, I start chopping up their water. I'm just like chopping wood, you know what I mean? Pop, chop, chop, chop. And then I guess like, you know what? I wanted to get that last little piece that was like freezing up their pool sweep. And, uh, and so I reach, and as I reach, it's like, you know, the whole frozen water, like, moved, you know, this big ice thing. And as it moved, my hands hit the back of it, and it came up, and my knee, wearing shorts in de- December, hit straight on that ice that was about that thick. And I'm like, wow, okay, that, that a little charty horse is what I felt. And as I got out of the pool, I realized that it, it nearly chopped off the lower half of my leg. It went down to the bone. And, uh, and I'm like, at the time, true story, Tammy and I were in a little tiff as boyfriend and girlfriend. And there's nothing like going to the hospital that's going to like fix it real quick. You know what I mean? And I thought, just sew it up and then we'll go on our date tonight at La Rocca's, which was like our favorite place to go. Well, I, I completely severed the patella tendon and I was in the hospital for a week and it was a very painful journey. And now I look at my knee, and it, it smiles at everybody, this big, giant scar from that ice. And I heard something once about scars. As one pastor actually called them healing marks. A healing mark. It's not a scar. It's a healing mark. Every one of us has an emotional scar. Every one of us has a physical scar. But eventually, the pain of that impact, that pain of that cut on your knee, that pain of that impact in your chin, that pain of that impact in your soul as that wound comes your way, eventually you get to a place where God allows you to forget. You don't forget the event. It's not like I woke up one day after I had finally processed not having a dad growing up and someone said like, hey, tell me about your life. Like, it's a total blank from 36 backwards. It's not like you don't, you don't forget. When he meets his brothers, he, it's like someone almost rips off the scab again as he becomes this emotional basket case, Joseph going off into the corner crying because he's confronted his, with his brothers as he sees them. But it no longer has the same sting. One day our present pain will be forgotten. It's still there, but it doesn't control. And it doesn't hinder You look at it for what it is. It happened. It happened. And you trust God that he has a plan that he would allow that to come your way. One day, what you're going through will no longer have the same sting. One day, you'll be like Joseph and say, you know what? I gave birth to this new season of my life, Manasseh. The Lord has allowed me to forget his second son is, gives us kind of our third takeaway. It's this. We have to let go of the past to be able to embrace the future. His second child name means fruitful. 
God has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. And literally, it means doubly fruitful. In the land of affliction, purpose came to him. Growth, maturity came to him. And now fruitfulness comes to him. You've got to let go. You've got to get to that place of forgetfulness, of forgiveness, as people wound you, if you're going to actually be fruitful. You ever seen a family at Disneyland? I was going to say, do you ever see a happy family at Disneyland? The answer is no. <laughs> In line. And then, and then, you know, you see a kid, he's like all busted up. He's got a sucker that's just, he just got that Mickey sucker and it's just broken. You know what I mean? He dropped it on their, that coronavirus, like infested walkway at Disneyland, right? And he's just crying. Dad just went and took a second out on his house to get you that sucker, right? <laughs> What's a dad do? Dude, you, you, you don't want to deal with this all day long. And so what you do is you enable. You go, you're an enabler is what you are, and so am I. You get that visa out, and you say, I need another $14 sucker. And you go to that kid, and you're just like, you know, listen, I need that sucker. I need that busted sucker with all those viruses on it. You need to give it to me right now. And the kid's like, no, no, my sucker's broken. Dad, if even that's your name, you know what I mean? It's like, if you don't let go of the sucker... You don't have room to take on a brand new one. You know what I'm saying? I think that's the way it is in a lot of our lives. I believe that God is wanting to bless our lives, but sometimes we don't want to be forgetful to get to that spot where we're fruitful. We want to hold on to this. Something that is so toxic to us, and we know it. If any one of your friends came to you and said, I'm still holding on to this grudge because of what happened to me, not a one of you would say, you know what? You go, girl. You keep that grudge, right? You hold on to that. You hang on to that animosity. You don't let it go as you hold on to that dirty sucker. I'm not suggesting it's not painful. I'm not suggesting you don't go to counseling. I'm not suggesting that you just say, oh, no big deal. What I am suggesting is you ain't going to get to Ephraim in your life until you get that birth of Manasseh in your life. It's impossible. We can't be fruitful until we are forgetful. you got to leave the past. You have to grieve the loss. Grieve the loss of your childhood, the lost parent, the wrongs done to you. Release it. Trust God to heal you and get to the place of forgiveness, which is forgetfulness. That's what forgiveness is all about. One pastor quoting C.S. Lewis, he said, C.S. Lewis described hell as a place where no one forgets anything, remembering every slight, every cruel exchange of words, every wrong ever done to them, and everybody is utterly unforgiving. But in heaven all things are put away because all things have become new. Doesn't that sound like hell to you on earth? Every slight remembered. Everything done to you, every wrong done to you, held on with a grudge. Unfortunately, some people create this living hell for their households and their marriages and their circle of friends and their co-workers because they can't learn to get to that place of forgiveness and forgetfulness and overcome it through the power of God's Spirit. If you're waiting to get revenge, it takes all your energy and you're not in a place to receive from the Lord. Some people don't want to let it go. Because they let go of their trump card, don't they? If, you're, if we're all honest, 
Doesn't it feel like the people who have wronged you in life, that they get a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Like it's a freaking game of Monopoly or something like that. Or they get 200 bucks, then they get the card, and they get Park Place and Boardwalk, right? You're the one who gets the get-out-of-jail-free card because they're not in prison. Forgiveness, we are called to forgive because it releases us from that prison of pain and, and resentment. You can't get to that place of fruitment, that fruitfulness, that doubly fruitfulness that he described until you let it go. We can't be fruitful until we're forgetful. Here's the last thing I want you to take away from this. And I love this. Is number four is recognize that God is the source of our healing and blessing. He says, God has made me forget. He says, God has made me fruitful. Only God can do that. God's the one. Joseph didn't forget the faith of his fathers. He gives his children Hebrew names. He never let up on his faith in God, even when he couldn't see how God would use this, and even when relief didn't come for 13 years. He knew that God was the one who blessed him. He knew that all things were together for good. God gave a message to Jeremiah to send to the people taken captive by the Babylonians, the people of Israel that are locked up for 70 years, basically a national timeout, if you would, for 70 years because of their disobedience to God. But God sent a prophet named Jeremiah, and he said, here's my message to him, Jeremiah. Say this to them. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan. God will use the pain. He will restore and heal. He will give a future and a hope. Overcoming pain is something, according to Joseph, that can only be done through God. And God can bring complete healing and restoration and blessing as you keep trusting him, you keep seeking him, and you keep following him. Can I ask you today, like, what is the, what's the Lord saying to you today? What, are you, what is God speaking to your heart right now? This isn't about, like, hey, let's, let's walk through the book of Genesis so we can learn more than our friends at other churches. This is about, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Like, your journey to become an overcomer, what is it that you need to walk through right now? What is it you need to, to listen to what he's saying? Do you need to release some bitterness? Do you need to forgive someone? Do it. Do it this morning. Release them. If you got to call them, call them. If they're not alive anymore, tell God right now, God, I just release this, this bitterness I've been holding up, and I want to forgive that person for the wrongs that they've done to me. Do you need encouragement today? Be encouraged. Know that the Lord is going to bring you to a place where this pain will pass, and it will no longer have its same sting, and he'll bring you to a place of fruitfulness in your life. And that's something that only God can do. Perhaps it's your time to ask God to bring healing in your life. For that to happen, you've got to let some stuff go. Maybe God will lead you to a place where you find a counselor is necessary to walk you through the journey. I would encourage you to explore every single opportunity that God might want to use in your life to bring you to that place of forgetfulness and fruitfulness. Or maybe this morning as you sit here, and by the way, we all, we, all need, we all need each other. We all need one another. We joke about, you know, like not being 
touchy because of the viruses floating around our community or other communities, but we all need the body of Christ. Every single Sunday, we've got friends of mine that are available every single week. By the way, they don't have their stuff together. That They go for prayer on the days that they're not, they're not serving in that capacity. But every one of us has stuff that we go through. And the worst thing in the world is this ought to be the place where you and I could be the most vulnerable and most honest. The worst thing in the world is to walk in with the same with burdens and to walk out with the same burdens or even adding some more to it. When you got people that would just say, hey, can I help you unload these burdens? Go and receive prayer this morning. Or maybe this morning, maybe you recognize that you're in a spot where maybe you've been stiff-arming God and you don't have a relationship with him today. You don't know him. You don't have a relationship. If you were to die this morning, you don't have any kind of peace in your heart that you'd stand before God and be, and be welcomed into his kingdom. We talk about this every Sunday as we close out because we never want anyone to leave with a false notion that you have to try harder to be better for God to accept you one day when you die. None of us can do it. The reason why there's a bloody cross with a perfect Savior that we look back through the corridor of time 2,000 years ago is because there is no one who's good. There is no one who's righteous. There's no one who's seeking after God. That's what Romans tells us. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That perishing part, that's the entire world. We're all perishing without a Savior. So how do I have a relationship with my Savior? Well, you believe in him. You believe that he died for your sins. You believe that you broke his commands, that you have sinned, and, and, and your sin separates you from God. In fact, our sin, all of it, deserves God's eternal punishment in hell. But that's why Jesus came, so he could stand in the gap. He could bridge that gap between a holy God and an unholy people, sinful people, and he could make a way for sinners like you and me to be brought in a relationship with God. And that happens when you believe in him. Every Sunday, I don't want to ever leave RVC without giving somebody a chance to say yes to Jesus. Maybe this is your moment where you say, I'm going to surrender to him. Would you all bow with me now? Father, thank you for your love today, God. Thank you for your grace. And thank you, Lord, for giving us this incredible story of Joseph that teaches us so much about learning to be an overcomer. God, there are many people in this room who have overcome enormous obstacles of pain, abandonment, abuse. And Lord, you are always faithful to walk us through it. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you continue to walk them through that journey. I pray that you get my friends to that place of that land of forgetfulness, Lord, that land of fruitfulness. And Lord, we know it's all you. And so God, we just we, we bless you now.